messages, membership messages. You might think that's good news. No, the good news is the title of what we want to uh, talk to you about today, and that is the gospel. And before we get going, let's, let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Lord, our Father in heaven, how great, how wonderful is your name. And Father, we are so privileged to be able to gather in your house, to lift up our hands and voices in praise. Father, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we just beg the Holy Spirit to come here and to be with us. I pray, Father, that you would just put in my mouth the words that you want spoken today. Father, that our hearts would be opened and our minds would be enabled to receive your gospel message and your truth. Oh, Lord, how thankful we are for the great, the enduring, the powerful, and the saving gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this indeed is our last uh, message in the series for our membership. And we've been studying what it means to become a, a member of Hillside, what it means for us as believers, and what we expect from one another. We looked at our doctrine, the main points of what we believe, as are very well summarized in the Baptist faith and message, our mission. What do we do? We love God, love people, make disciples, our covenant that we're getting ready to sign as a body next week. What exactly are we as a repentant group of believers signing up to do these things, love one another, build one another up, maintain a faithful witness, labor together for Christ? And now we look at the gospel. The gospel is the glue that holds it all together. The gospel is the good news that makes what we do here meaningful. And I'll submit to you that there are four important keys to understanding the gospel. Now, keys are important. And Chad, you were sharing a story with us about just how important those keys are and how important they work right. The key that Chad has to his Honda, uh, something or another broke, and he wound up, the chip fell out. He had the metal part. It looked like a key that would work, but it wouldn't work without that important little chip that's the heart of it. And each of these four keys has, if you will, an important component and a heart that if we're going to understand the gospel, what it is and what it means, we need to get and to understand the heart of the key. And those keys are God, man, Jesus, and finally, our response to all of that. And it is indeed a very good and, and uh, popular way that it has been used to expound the gospel. But to start with, I want to ask a question, or have you asked that to yourself? It's a word we use all the time, but what is the gospel? What does gospel mean? As Christians, as evangelicals, the gospel, what is it? If somebody approached you on the street and said, you talk about the gospel all the time, you Christians over there at Hillside, well, what is the gospel? Now, to the shame of the Christian community, that's a question that's got a big haze and fog and cloud around it because it has been unnecessarily obscured and clouded over. 
People have all kinds of definitions for well, what is the gospel, and it has been tidied up. It has been made to be more interesting, and the keys have been all confounded. Some people think the gospel is, well, the gospel is about God transforming society that gradually, you know, we're going to become better and better. Well, that's a good thing. That's not the gospel. Well, some people say the gospel is that you don't have to feel bad about yourself. And you don't have to have a bad self-image and, and, and you can be prosperous and you can be wealthy. Well, those things are good. It's not the gospel. Well, some people say, well, the gospel is Jesus is Lord. That's a fact. But that by itself is not the gospel. So we want to look at these four things, bring them to light, understand God, man, Jesus' response, our response of what these four things mean, and how as members of Hillside, it is so vital that we understand to be able to articulate what is the gospel. Let's start with the first thing, which is God. God. Now, we know that there's a, a God who is our creator, but people have this conception of, of what God is like. What, what is God like? Well, they have an image in their mind about how people think about God. This is how people think about God. God is like somebody's maybe almost senile, pleasant grandpa whose better days are behind. I mean, he's got some good stories to tell you, maybe how he fought in the war. But, you know, he's kind of maintains his distance. He's happy to see you come by the house. Maybe he'll hand you a dollar if you got good grades on your report card. He might complain about how things aren't the same as in days past. And, 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 and you know, Grandpa's nice. We all love Grandpa. But, uh, I mean, what, what does he bring to my life? I don't, I don't have to worry about Grandpa every day. Let's see what the Bible says. We want to look and get a, 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 a right idea of God. So our, our scripture this morning, it comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and to honor the reading of God's word, if you're willing and able, let's, let's stand up together. And this is, this is a telling of the gospel. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And may God add the blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So let's look at God. Well, who is this God? It's very important that we not think of God as the senile grandfather. We know who God really is because that's very important. You can't understand the gospel unless you understand a little something about our God. And the Bible wastes no time introducing us to God. How does the Bible start? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love that the Bible does not try to prove the existence of God. It does not try to make theoretical arguments. It just tells us the simple truth that our God created the heavens and the earth. Our eternal, omnipresent, omniscient God is creator. And indeed... God shows us his glory in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? And that glory God wants to share with us because we are part of his creation. On the sixth day, he created us. God is introducing himself to us. We, we, he wants us to know it. It's important that we understand who he is. And one of the most excellent introductions that you'll find, it comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, and verse 6, and what's happening here. This is when Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's asked the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. Because you see, in the beginning, in the garden, in creation, Mankind, Adam and Eve, walked in the glory of God. They were sinless. They lived in a perfect environment. But sin has obstructed the picture. Now here is Moses on the mountain. Lord, show me your glory. And this is God introducing himself. Have you ever had to do a self-introduction? I bet it wasn't as dramatic as this one. We know that the Lord told Moses, now Moses, you can't look at my face and live. No one can. You can't, you can't experience my glory head on. So I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock. I'm going to pass by. I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to introduce myself, who I am. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children 
and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And God sums up his essence and his nature. And we're quick to quote part of this. The Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, God is love. And indeed he is. But that's not all that God is. That's not all who he is. He is love, he is merciful, and he is gracious. But, but, who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity. And you see, you cannot take just part of the key. You cannot just simply say God is love and he has just turned us out to grace to do whatever we wish and leave behind that God is intolerant of wickedness. That every deed, that every action, that every sin will absolutely, fundamentally be judged. This is the nature of God. He will not stand iniquity in his sight. Yes, he is loving, kind, gracious, and good, but he is a holy God. That brings us to the next key. Here is God. God's our creator. He's righteous and holy, and he made man. Us, man and woman, humankind. God created us. He formed us from the dust of the earth. He took the rib from Adam and created Eve. That clump of clay was just a mannequin, a very good likeness of a human being. But what did God do? He breathed into him the breath of life. So God has created us. You go back in Genesis and you'll read where God gave dominion to man. God gave the ability to serve him. And the reason that we were created was to live in a glorious relationship with God. You see, we need to understand that about man. We did it not evolve from some primordial soup and somehow stumble into a consciousness. If you think that man is simply uh, the result of some random process, then you cannot comprehend the gospel. Because man is a created being. The God has formed and fashioned each and every one of you in your mother's womb and has brought us here today. But he brought us to this earth to glorify him, to live in a covenant relationship. And things started out good. Every year when I read through the Bible, I keep hoping that Genesis chapter 3 doesn't happen. <laughs> but it's always there. Sin always comes into the world. And you see, that's where man really screwed things up. Now our God, our Creator... He made this world with all these natural laws. And it's important to understand a little bit about God's laws because 
that's what holds this universe together. There's the law of gravity. There's the immutable constant of the speed of light. If I drop a rock today, it'll fall at 32 feet per second squared. If I drop it tomorrow, it will accelerate at the same rate. God's laws are steady and constant. So when people try to tell you that as a human I can exist in a vacuum, I don't have to worry about this God you talk about, we need to understand that just like there are physical laws, there are spiritual and moral laws. And you may deny God with every breath of your body, but He still exists, and your sins will be judged. I can walk to the top of the Empire State Building. I can look down at the people walking around like ants, and I can say, you know what? I decided the law of gravity does not apply to me. I'm going to take a step off this, and because... You know, in my book of uh, the universe, gravity is optional. And I'm not going to soar. I'm not going to fly. I'm going to fall and probably crush about a dozen people when I land. Why? Because the laws of God are immutable. And God has decreed that we are accountable to him. That's in the law. The laws that the Jews received on Mount Sinai, you know, the Ten Commandments, that law says basically, you know, we are accountable to God. Here are the things we should do and should not do. The Gentiles who never heard of this, God wrote his law on the heavens. He demonstrated his law, the Bible says, written on the hearts. You know, people know innately that there is right and wrong. The law is the glory of God. Now, as we're here at man, you know, we're talking about the good news. But in order to understand the good news, you've got to come to terms with the bad news. You all know what bad news is? You ever get that call at 3 in the morning, a loved one has passed away? You ever be in the doctor's office and get the dreaded diagnosis. Oh, it's cancer or some other disease. We know bad news. It comes to us all the time in this fallen world. The bad news here is that we have totally failed God, and you can see that in this world when almost every time you turn on the news there's another school shooting. There's another report about how drugs are eating out the heart of America. There's another report of mindless and senseless violence and war and all of the fruit of the rebellion against God. That's the bad news. And all of that bad news goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when man rebelled against God. You see, just like it's fundamental that we understand the key to this God, we have to understand man. We have to understand that man is in a fallen state. And 
You read through the book of Romans, which is the best exposition of the gospel, and you find where Paul says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, isn't, hasn't somebody done enough? And people moralize and they'll say, well, sure, you know, there are bad people, but I believe people are basically good. Church, our nature as human beings in the flesh, we are not regenerate. We are hell-bound. You may see a spark of kindness, a spark of goodness, the, 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 the embers of the flame that God stirred when he made us in his image, but fundamentally we are bent toward evil. Just as when God, when he looked at the earth in the time of Noah and he surveyed the minds of man and he said, they're all wicked. As it is written, there is none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. We're all lawbreakers. And people don't understand the nature of sin. They think of sin in terms of uh, a little list of nitpicky offenses, kind of like a stack of parking tickets. Well, I told this little white liar, maybe did that, but overall, I'm a pretty good person. I'm especially, I'm better than the guy sitting over there. Why, well, I'm a paragon of virtue compared to so-and-so. But the nature of sin is it is high treason. It's not simply one act. It's not one omission. It's not one oops, I goofed. It is the nature in our flesh that we are bent away from God that we cannot and will never serve Him in that state, that we are skewed toward Him. And the glory of God that once was experienced in the garden that was briefly demonstrated to Moses as God gave the law is far from us because the scripture says our sins have hidden God from us. Is God really worried about this rebellion? Well, y'all remember in Luke chapter 19, the parable of the, of the talents, the servant gives the silver, different amount, the, the master gives to the different servant different amounts of money and say, go and invest this. But then he says, there were a few who said about the master, we shall not have this man to rule over us. And most of the world is screaming that at the top of their lungs. This Jesus, this God, we don't want him to be our ruler. We rebel. And then we go through the parable of the talents, how one did this and one did the other. That's a very important message in that. But what happens to the enemies at the end? The master says, the ones who denied me, the ones who rebelled, bring them here and slay them in my sight. That's bad news. Because you know what? We all are enemies of God when we're in our flesh. 
There's only one answer for this. And that's Christ. That's our next. That's our next key. Jesus. You know, because if I ended right here, the message, you'd say, Brother Ron, I thought you were going to tell us some good news. There's no good news so far. I'm getting to it. Good news. And good news is what Jesus did. Because you may ask, is there some way out of this predicament? Is there some way out of this death sentence that it's sin? And I say, yes, there is, but there's only one way. Only one. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not saying, well, I'm going to clean my life up and then, you know, I'm going to find God. It's not, well, I'm going to, you know, starting tomorrow, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a brand new person. That won't work. The Old Testament shows how the Lord, through his son Jesus Christ, was planning our redemption from day one. Remember the Passover? Remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt and, and the, the, the ten great plagues, and that last great plague was the death of the firstborn. And the only way to escape the death angel, was to take the blood of the lamb and to apply it to the doorframe. And then when the death angel saw the blood, the destroyer would not enter. He would pass over. Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is our Redeemer. We have to understand the key that is Jesus Christ also because... You see, if we think of Jesus as a virtuous guy who walked around in a robe and maybe he did a few slights of hands or even miracles and he was unjustly put to death because folks were jealous of him, maybe he's even somebody I want to model my life over. If that's all we think about Jesus, we don't have the key. You see, the key is that Jesus is, was fully man, fully human, and at the same time, fully God. He is the only one who actually did keep the law. He is the only one who lived the life righteous enough that satisfied every single law 100% of the time. And that scripture we first read, where we talked about you were dead and trespasses and sin, and verse 4 says, but God. You see, with Jesus, Jesus is the but God. Jesus is God's intervention in our horrible situation of doom and gloom. Jesus is the good news who came into the picture. And the scripture, I'll read part of it again, that Chad started us with this morning from... 1 Corinthians, let me find my place, 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, 
unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And see, that's very important. We have to understand Jesus, not just that he died on that rugged cross, but that he is the propitiation or the payment for our sins and that a wonderful transaction took place on that cross where Jesus Christ, he took your sin, he took my sin, he took every believer who ever confesses their sin, their guilty verdict, he took that to himself and he said, instead of that, how about have my righteousness? So now when God looks at you, he doesn't see if you have confessed Christ as your Savior, he doesn't see the dirty, awful wickedness that was us, but he sees the righteousness of his Son, and no guilty verdict can be passed. We are absolved. We are justified by the blood of Christ. That's good news. That is great news. That means I don't have to drink of the cup of the wrath of God. And let me tell you, you don't want to drink from that cup. You don't want to drink from the cup that Jesus drank of when in Gethsemane he said, Father, if there's any other possible way, I don't want to drink from this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because Jesus knew what a stinking mess of my sin was in that cup and he bore the burden for me. That's good news. Now, the last key. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? In Mark 1, 14 and 15, We're admonished now after John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Let's look at the coin. It's two sides of the same coin. One side is faith, that's belief. The other side is repentance. You can't repent and not believe. You can't have the faith and not repent. They come together. They fit hand in glove. Our response. Our response. First of all, we have to repent. That means to turn away from our sins. Now, you cannot say, well, you know, I hate it when people are, if you witness to them and they say, well, first, I need to clean my life up and then come to God. No, that's not going to work. He does that. Don't do God's work of regeneration because it won't work. 
That's why Jesus calls it being born again. Show me your glory, God. We want to get back to that state of living and breathing in the glorious presence of God. And see, our response is to accept the gospel as true. Our response is, if somebody asked you today, are you going to heaven? And if any of you are Christians and you say, I hope so, I will personally come into your house and slap you silly. <laughs> Do not, that is the wrong answer. If you believe in Jesus, you don't have to say, I hope so. You get to say, I know so. Why? It's not dependent on me. Thank God. That's more good news. It's dependent on him. And I tell you this right now. What we do is we point to Jesus and say, Lord, yes, I'm guilty. Your son died for me. I'm going to cling to that promise. Have you clinged to that promise this morning? Have you received the gospel? You know the keys. God who created us, he's entitled for us to serve him in righteousness, our holy, omnipotent God who does not tolerate sin, man who he created, who rebelled against God. We all are in that state of rebellion unless we accept the key that is Jesus Christ, respond to him, repent of our sins, believe in him. That, ladies and gentlemen, is good news. Now, don't you think, don't you think that's worth sharing with somebody? Don't you think news that great, that wonderful? I mean, we get to do that. Some people act like the Great Commission is a death sentence. I got to share Jesus. No. You get to share. You get to tell people. You get to offer what God has done and say, this is the good news. You don't have to die and go to a real, literal hell. You don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to meet your maker. You don't have to stand before the great white throne of judgment when those who've died without him are, are, are gathered, when it says that heaven and earth just fled away from the presence of the mighty God who sat on that throne. Because let me tell you, church, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I'd much rather do that as a child of God than to do that with the understanding that I had never accepted Jesus as my Savior. And the fact that he gives us his choice is good news. And church, as we look toward the blessed signing of our covenant coming up, we're just saying we want to live that good news. And we want to be a part of a church that not only believes it, but wants to share it. And that is good news. We'll have a time of invitation. If the Lord is moving on your heart for any reason, this altar is open. 
If you haven't received him as your Savior, there could be no better time than right now. So you see, the gospel isn't that complicated, is it? The Bible says if we don't come to him as little children, we can't come at all. How does the little child come? They, they have their trust in their mama and their daddy. I read a book about the gospel, and, and, and the author said it was like when he was teaching his children to swim, how his little child would come, and he, he would be in the pool, and he would say, jump. And it says it took a while for that child to get confidence, but then it was eager to jump because every time he caught his child. And the Lord has you this morning. Whatever you're going through, whatever problem you face, as we sung that wonderful praise song, I am a child of God. Sometimes we need to knock and seek and ask, but he will be there for us. Let's pray. Lord Father, right now as we have this time of invitation, move on every heart. Father, for the wonderful good news that is so much more than we deserve Lord I just thank you I pray Father to live a life that's more worthy of it I pray here at Hillside Lord we would proclaim it on the mountaintops that we would live it and we would share it and we wouldn't be ashamed of it Lord because it is the power your power to salvation bless us now Lord we pray in Jesus name <laughs>